Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast 15 to Life, where we talk about life after having a life sentence in prison. My name is Tito Guerrero, I'm your host, and today I thought I'd talk about something that a lot of people ask me about. So what a lot of people ask me about is like, well, what's prison like? What's what's it really like? And, and is it like the movies and all this other stuff? And in case a lot of you didn't know... A lot of these movies were, you know, it's the old school prison bars and stuff. One, the new prisons don't look like that. Two, a lot of those prisons are actually, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of those movies are actually filmed at San Quentin State Prison in California or Old Folsom State Prison, two of the oldest prisons. San Quentin being the oldest, it was the first prison. Um, Little history on that. San Quentin actually started out, it was a boat. And the inmates were on the boat, and the inmates actually helped build the prison that is still there to this day. So, in California, there's a number of reception centers. So, basically, when you go to prison, it's not like in the movies where it's like you go to court and two minutes later you're in prison. Nowhere near that. It's a huge misconception. I think it's actually something that pollutes a lot of the minds of people out there that end up doing stupid stuff because they have this crazy conception that like in the movies like someone does a 20-year sentence in like 15 minutes you know (laughs) they they show them go to trial for one minute the next minute they're they're like good fellows are in there eating steak and lobster and you know people are just bringing drugs in through visiting room with no problem it's that don't get me wrong that kind of stuff does happen but it's not on that movie level and and uh, hell if you have any kind of hookups like that, you're gonna you're gonna do well in prison. But also, everyone's gonna be trying to get you too. So, needless to say, um, the process of actually getting to prison can take a while. Me myself, I actually fought my case, so I sat in county jail, which really sucks. I mean, don't get me wrong, being incarcerated, I don't care where you're at, it's gonna suck. But county jail for two years really sucks and and mind you i I will bitch and complain about my two years there's guys that you know fought their case in county for like six seven eight ten years it's just ridiculous so needless to say the 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 quick short version of this is you basically get arrested or quote-unquote detained but you get arrested you go to jail right then they throw you in front of a judge they do a quick preliminary hearing where they say yes we're going to remand you into custody which means you go to county jail you'll probably sit in a city jail for a day or two then you go to the county jail and the county jail is where you basically sit in stasis until you go to trial you take a plea agreement and then you either go to prison or you get released on probation or whatever right so i did that for two years back and forth to court until I finally went to trial, I think the trial, gosh, now I don't even remember, I'll have to go look through my notes, but the trial lasted a few weeks, and they came back hung, 
which means basically they either have to let me go or start all over. And there was some unprecedented stuff that the judge did. Really weird, foul stuff. But either which way, I'm not saying that I wasn't guilty. I admitted to everything. But he did some foul stuff, and they reopened closing arguments. Came back like 15 minutes later with a guilty second-degree murder um, decision. Um and then I had to wait to be sentenced. Mind you, we're talking over two years for this process to end. Then, yes, they call my name at 3.34, 30 in the morning. You know, you get on a bus, you're going to San Quentin. So, in the state of California, there's a few reception centers. So, you, you do your county jail stint, doing whatever with your case. When you get found guilty, you then get scheduled, get put on a bus, and you go to state prison. But you go to a reception center first which you may stay there, but the reception center is really a place. Um, there's a few of them, like I said, spread out around California. So depending on wherever your county jail is, you'll go to a different one. I was Northern California, Bay Area, so I went to San Quentin. Now, when you get there, there's all kinds of things that happen, um, aside from you know the, the screening process to determine where you should go and what level you should be, what security level. California has four levels, one, two, three, four, and then they have like the ranches and stuff, um, which are pretty much level ones, right? Uh, so four being the worst, one being minimum security. Um, when you come in with a life sentence, you're definitely going to be a level three or a level four. Then depending on criteria and everything else, you may get some points taken off for a few things. And you might end up like me. Uh, 42 is basically you're going anything over 42, you're going to a level four. I was at 42. So, and I might even have that wrong. It's been a while. I'm sorry. It might be 44, but I was literally right underneath the, the line. So I squeaked past and I got to go to a level three, which is still maximum security. Don't get me wrong. But level fours are what we call the rocking and rolling um, prisons. They're the ones where pretty much everyone has very high points and you know they're hoping to get their points down so they go to a softer prison um yeah it's hard to do because they're always fighting because there's so many people that have like 160 points they're never going to get anywhere else so they really just don't care <clears throat> but anyway so what was it like getting to prison well when you pull up to san quentin out of all the reception centers don't get me wrong you pull up to a Delano, uh, uh, um, Tracy, and this is your first time going to prison, I'm sure you feel some kind of way. But I think it's a little different when you pull up to San Quentin because it's old. And it is literally everything you see in the movies. Um, I, can't, I, I, I can't even make this stuff up. And if you've seen all these movies, and especially movies about San Quentin, You'd probably be like, holy crap, I really wouldn't want to go there. And the funny thing is, San Quentin used to be like a level four. Now it's a level two. So a lot of people, unless you're, you're doing a, just a little bit of time, you won't stay there. You're going to bus off somewhere else eventually. And you'll sit in reception for anywhere from two to six months while they figure out where they're going to send you. And reception is kind of like a little bit better than county, but not a whole lot better. Because um, you're pretty much locked up all the time and... You don't have all the freedoms you do uh, once you hit the main line. So anyway, let's get to this pulling up to San Quentin State Prison. So um, April, you know, 1999, uh, I, I pull up 
And I mean, it is a big old, um, lots of metal bars, lots of barbed wire, chain link fences, all kinds of um, uh, security ports everywhere, little sliding windows. I mean, really ominous stuff. And the stuff that you see in these movies where guys are getting snuck off into boiler rooms and stuff. All the new prisons, you don't have that kind of stuff. You can't. Everything is automated doors and everything. You you don't have that. Guess what? San Quentin, you do. So you pull up and you're seeing the stuff and you're like, holy crap. Like, um, you know, it's called blind spots. Newer prisons are fishbowls or 180 yards. So 180 degrees. Like everything is within vision. Um, they're set up as fishbowls for security purposes. San Quentin Old Folsom were not. They were just set up to be set up. So there are so many blind spots, so many places where things can happen and maybe people don't see it for a while. <laughs> it's just the truth. So needless to say, you pull up in this bus and there's like this little fenced off caged area where uh, R&R, which is uh, uh, receiving and release, is... And you pull up, and everyone's in, you know, these little paper jumpsuits. Uh, well, not paper jumpsuits. I'm sorry. Some are in paper jumpsuits, but you're in, like, your county um, uh, whatever. We had, I was maximum in county, so we wore yellows. So the first thing, you walk up these little steps, and they got a bunch of big old trash cans. And you got to strip down. Everything on gets thrown in those trash cans. None of it's coming back. You, you're, you're walking through the portal naked. And I'll never forget, I'm stripping out. And one of the things we used to do, you know, people who have earrings and stuff, in county jail, when you buy flip-flops, you know, shower shoes for when you're walking around taking showers and stuff, um, they would have these little plastic like wiring that that would hold them together, you know, tying them together. So we would take those, cut those, take one of the teeth out of a comb, kind of push it in the tube on each end, and you can make a little earring so you could keep your holes open. So mind you, I had four holes. I still do, even though I don't wear earrings, but I had four holes that I didn't want to close up. So I had put these little hoops in my ears, and they happened to be red because that's what came on the shower shoes that I got. Well, for those of you who don't know, Northern California, um, the, the dominant Mexican gang is the Norteños, and their color is red. And then their rivals are the Sudeños, which are very big in the prison population, even up north, and their color is blue. So needless to say, here I come. My name's Tito Guerrero, and I have these red hoops on. So the, the guard pulls me out, and he's like, hey, man, do I need to separate you? And I'm like, separate me for what? He's like you banging? And I'm like, no, I don't bang. And he's like, what's up with those fucking red hoops? And I'm like, dude, they're to keep my ears from closing up. He's all, yeah, we're going to classify you. You're going to be sold up with the northerners. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, <laughs> there's going to be problems. So I'm already like, damn, I haven't, I don't even, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing, but I, I can't let that happen because that's not me. So needs to say, I go through a strip out, <clears throat> um, put us in a cell they they give us our little paper jumpsuits for a minute come out um or not the paper god i keep saying paper jumpsuits they, they give us our orange jumpsuits which you see a lot in the movies and everything and then we go out to get our uh cdc number our california department of corrections inmate id number right so never forget i walk up 
And the guy goes, Guerrero. He's a, like, yeah. And he goes, P36, 187. And I started laughing. He's all, what's so funny? And I go, that's a joke, right? He's all, why the hell would it be a joke? That's your number. You better not forget it. And I'm like, you're serious? And I don't know. It just seemed like a joke to me because I basically got convicted on a 187. And I did the math. And the first time I would get to go to board to try to be released on my life sentence would be when I'm 36 years old. So in my head, it seemed kind of funny to have a number that was 36187. Um, of course, to this guard, I was just an idiot rambling off at the mouth and told me to shut up and get the hell out of his face, which I did. Um, so then, you know, you sit there, you get a lunch. It's a bunch of guys, you know, stinky, funky from riding on the bus, bitching about their property. They, they, they make you go through the process of going through your property. They take what they're going to take they let you keep what they're going to let you keep which isn't much you have the option to mail stuff home but for the most part any stuff that you have with you you're not gonna you know what i mean you're not gonna pay to send it home is just throw the crap away which sucks but you know you do what you do someone like me i had a ton of property and food and everything so you know it was just like whatever they they take all that they make you sit and wait and you sit there for hours and then they basically, boom, ship you off to your unit, um, give you a bedroll and everything. You go to your unit. So uh, I went to Badger Section, fifth tier. So um, at that time, Badger Section was where they uh, put either people on meds. Um, the first and second tier were all meds. Third tier was your half meds and half high priority people and then fourth and fifth were all the bad guys right so so when i say all the bad guys i'm talking the guys with the high points uh i'll never forget i was talking to one of the indian brothers uh native american guys uh this guy had like 258 points and he was coming in on a parole violation i was like good lord brother how you got that many points He's like, dude, man, I, you know, just wherever I go, I just get into shit. And I just, I'm always fighting people. Last time I stabbed a couple of people, I'm like, damn. And I mean, he's just like, I'll always be a level four. And that's just it, you know. Another guy was there. He's like, you know, paroled from the shoes. So they had him on 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 our uh, tier until they moved him over to the hole. It was just, it was just crazy. So, Needs to say, I get up here, I'm on the freaking fifth tier. And and put this in perspective. Um, so I'm in here with all, like, the worst of the worst people. We're on the fourth and fifth tier. And at the time, uh, I'm 90% sure that that's, that's been changed because they were changing it even while I was there, and it was a while ago now. But at the time, it was just like you see in the movies. There's, like, the tier, the walkway, which is, not even enough room for two grown men to walk shoulder to shoulder. Like, there's it's basically one person can walk at a time on those tiers. And it was just waist-high bars, like a walking bar you would have coming down some stairs. Uh, now they have reinforced it with what they call suicide bars. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's probably more for non-suicide people than for suicide people. Basically, so people can't get through um needless to say and i'll kind of talk about it in this podcast but yeah while i was there two people got thrown off the third tier and the fourth tier um 
so yeah, those bars, you know, kind of like American Me, where the, they stabbed him up a bunch of times and threw him off the tier. Yeah, stuff really happens. Um, even in reception, where people haven't even really got to where they're going to be yet, right? It's crazy. Uh, but anyway, so here I am, this fifth tier. I'm just like, holy crap. Um, it's hot, you know, it's, 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 um, it, it's just crazy. It's so ominous. And I, and I get there and, and my, my cellmate, um, talking to him, I'm just like younger kid. He's like 19 and I end up finding out this kid is the nephew of someone I went to high school with. And he showed me pictures of her, and I'm like, oh, my God, dude, when you write her, let her know I say what's up and everything. And geez, wow. And I'm, it's a humbling experience because I'm talking to him. He's 19. I'm, you know, 26 at the time. And I'm complaining I got a $10,000 restitution, and I'm complaining I got 15 to life. This kid had, like, I don't remember exactly, but it was, it was like, 35 to life. And a $5 million restitution. He's like, man, I could live 10 times and never pay this restitution off. And I'm like, that's so crazy. So put in perspective, like, how bad is my situation really? And a lot of times when you listen to these podcasts, I'll keep referring to that. Like, someone always has it worse. Like, get off get off your ass and just keep working on improving your situation. But stop making it seem like you have it worse than anyone else. Like, I went in there thinking, God, it sucks. I got a life sentence. I got this restitution I got to pay. And then the very first person I'm sold up with is like, dude, that's nothing. Nothing. And he's 19. Schooling me, right? So, just crazy. So, then you go to Chow. And, you know, it's... This is where things start turning into a lot of stuff that's, you know, you see it and, and it's exaggerated in movies, but it's real, you know. So at the time, San Quentin, you could still see the, the, the feeding line. Not like in the movies anymore. It's a little bit different. I think now they have it all sealed off. But most prisons, the feeding line can't see the people. So there isn't all that like hooking people up because you don't know who's next in line. But yeah, definitely, you know, guys are trying to make sure that their homies got a little extra or, or some of the better issue and everything. Um, you you got to be mindful who you sit with. You don't just go sit with anybody. Don't look at anyone, touch anyone, you know, you know, ac- accidentally stop and someone run it. Like so many things that could go wrong day one. You know, and I had been schooled on a lot of this stuff, so I was kind of on the lookout. But at the same time, very nerve-wracking first couple of days, right? So I'm bouncing around, learning the ropes, and then fishing, right? You see see that on lockup and everything all the time. In San Quentin, it was a little bit different because you would fish off of tiers, and you would do that by cutting up your sheets. You make a big line. You would roll up newspaper, make a weight, and I mean a heavy weight. Like we're we're not talking like a lot of the stuff you see on TV. They're like doing it with a little thing of toothpaste, and they're sliding it under a cell door. San Quentin's bars, so you can get your arms out and really throw something right. So one, you would fish up and down the tier where you're just going back and forth. That's easy, and a lot of times you can just pass stuff by hand, which you see in the movies a lot too. But then you get to fishing down tiers below you and if you're on like a second third or fourth tier you can fish upwards where you're basically throwing your weight 
off the tier and then straddling along the bars and you swing it, swing it, swing it, and then jerk it up and it flips up on top and then someone has to fish your line into their cell and pull it in. Crazy. And it took me a while, but I got really good at it. Um, and you would do stuff, barter stuff, whether it's food, kites, or notes about different things. Like we'd have to send our paperwork to people for them to read and make sure that, you know, you don't have any stupid stuff like a rape or anything on your jacket. Um, drugs, tobacco, you know, tobacco was, uh, by the time I got to San Quentin, there was no more tobacco. So, um, me and two of the little Asian homies, we put in, um, we had money. So we put it in with the homies that were on main line. They got us a few cans of bugler, rolling papers, lighters, and, you know, we went ahead and, um, well, I'm sorry, tobacco wasn't allowed in reception area. Um, it was still on main line. Now it's not allowed anywhere, but we still get all that stuff in. It's not that hard, but yeah. So <clears throat> we were doing all this stuff and I mean, walking around San Quentin, you just see so many areas where things could happen. And so it was, it was, it was really a trip and I'm not going to make this too much longer, but I will say this. I'll never forget, we got word, and I say we, I was the other, I explain this a lot of times, but just in case this is the first one you're listening to, you know, the prison system is broken into groups in California, so you got whites, blacks, you got Mexican nationals, then you got northern Mexicans, southern Mexicans, you got AMIs, or Native American Indians, and you have other, which other encompasses all your Asians, so your Filipinos, your your Vietnamese, your Chinese, your Cambodian, like all all the Asians, right? All the Pacific Islanders, all your Samoans, Tongans, Fijians, of Fijians, you know, all of that, you know, and then your Latins that don't associate with Mexican nationals or a gang, right? So your Puerto Ricans on Peruvian, um, your Cubans, you know, all that. So and we'd have other guys like Jamaicans and all kinds of stuff, right? guys from belize and all over the place <clears throat> so we got word that the the northerners might be doing something to someone now we didn't know who when or where we just knew just be careful right and sure enough going to challenge like i said these tears like there isn't a lot of room there isn't a lot of room on them and we're on the fifth tier so we're walking to chow and I see one of the northerners stop, and I was like, oh, crap. And mind you, I'm walking by him, so we know we got to be on alert, so I just kind of high-step it. Sure enough, I don't get maybe five feet past him, and then you can hear it. And I'm going to try and make the sound. I don't know how it'll sound, but it's like, <laughs> but muffled. Yeah, that sounded more like a slap, but you, you can hear him. The guy was getting stabbed. And we next thing you know, the gunner, hey, get out, get out, get out. The weapons go flying off the tier. We all get down. They come, get the guys, um, take them all out. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. Literally, maybe ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes. They got them out, cleaned up. Everyone get up, and we went to chow like it was nothing. And I was like, "Holy shit! This is prison. This is. I, I'm not even on a main line yet." I'm in reception. So it was really, really crazy. And it made me realize, you know, that's how quick and how easy something could happen to me. And, you know, the whole put your head on a swivel, be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, that went really deep after that. 
Because I was like, what if someone says I did something or says I said something? That that could be me, right? And I was just like, holy crap. And we kind of knew about it. So just crazy. And, I mean, a lot of stuff, more stuff. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. Matter of fact, I'll talk about one more. We'll make this a little bit longer, right? So we had another uh, Asian homie that um, he... Uh, uh, he was kind of a J-cat, which is someone, you know, not all there, kind of on medication, probably did too much dope or whatever. Just a crazy dude, right? And so at the end of the night, um, every night, every race would do a shutdown, right? Like, they they would all kind of call out, you know, say goodnight. And when that shutdown is done, nobody talks. You just don't that's it's out of respect and if you do your own people check you on it so we had this guy for some reason he wants to start yelling and screaming we tell him to shut up he still does it talk to him the next day at chow he does it again so then the, the homie sonny vietnamese homie sonny um he's like hey man I, I gotta take this dude out i'm just i'm just gonna i'm gonna knock him out and sonny was a big dude right this dude was kind of smaller older dude so, mind you, they corral everyone um, after chow. Like, they wait for, like, everyone to be done, and then they start cycling us back to the, the block, to the building, right? So, Sonny's like, <clears throat> we're going to get them out here. Y'all watch the gunner. Make sure he's walking away. Let me know, and I'm going to get him. So, we're kind of letting people know, like, leave this dude alone, you know, keep clear of them we're gonna get rid of them um so i was one of the guys watching for gunners and for the guards perfect timing everyone's moving away guards aren't paying attention we give them the thumbs up and i mean just imagine this crowd of tightly packed inmates waiting to go back from chow it's early in the morning and i mean it's almost like you see a little shark who's sunny just going through the crowd comes up behind the guy and i mean just like a haymaker from the ground just huge uppercut right to his temple boom and i mean you hear the slap like and you're just like ooh, and the guy doesn't even go down i don't know how uh, i mean sonny just clocks him and then everyone walks off and he's just standing there holding his head and sonny like comes over to us and he's like holy crap did he fall and i'm like nah dude he he's he took that full on the chin and didn't even go down. He's like, damn. And he's like, man, I can't go back because now the crowd has totally made a, a circle. Like, he's standing there by himself, and it's obvious something just happened, right? So suddenly he's like, man, we'll just have to, I'll, I'll try and get him later. And it was just like, damn, this is freaking crazy. Like, I'm really involved in this stuff. So we go back to the cell. And this this guy who was doing all the craziness who got got punched, he got medication. So I guess uh, in in his mind, so that he didn't have to get beat up. Uh, when the nurse came with the pills, he ran up and grabbed her ass. Nurse hits her panic alarm. They come, <clears throat> tackle him, beat him a little bit, take him to the hole. Tad say. So, ironically, problem solved, right? Um, the guy basically got rid of himself. But all this happened in, like, the first two, three weeks I'm there. 
you know, and there's a lot more. I'll, I'll talk a lot more. Maybe I'll make this a series, my, my San Quinn series. But I just wanted to put out, like, what it was like just getting to San Quinn for the first time. And it, it is so ominous. And to this day, man, uh, like, when I went back in to speak after years and years and years and years, it was crazy walking in regular clothes, <clears throat> walking through that yard, through the courtyard. And then what really made it just crazy was hearing someone go, Tito! And then a guy walking up to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, what's up, brother? And I'm asking the, like, escort, I'm like, hey, is it, is it cool if I give him a hug? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm here I am, a free man, hugging this dude that I did basically 10 years with over at Solano, who he transferred over here to San Quentin. And I'm just like, wow, this is surreal, like, like, I'm actually in, it's not the visiting room, I'm on the yard. Like, it's another level of, you know, being able to do some positive stuff, but also coming back to an environment I never thought I'd be back in, in the way I was. So anyway, more to come on some more San Quentin stories. Tell me what you liked, didn't like about this, or would you like to hear more of? Um, but I do have some other San Quentin stories, so more to come. Anyway, this is Tito, podcast 15 to life. And we're going to get some more stories in. All right.